Greetings from St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're able to join us for this act of worship. St Bride's is famous for its ministry to journalists, and behind me here you can see our journalists' commemorative altar. We are aware as never before of the dangers that those in the industry face when bringing us the news. So our journalists and all who work in the media are very much in our thoughts and prayers at this time. However, we are, of course, here for all of you, journalists and everyone else. Do please leave us a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always good to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to help support these services, uh, you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. But now, may the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. The lawyer said to Jesus, Who is my neighbour?
A very warm welcome to St. Bride's to our choral Eucharist on this, the fourth Sunday after Trinity. Wherever you are in the world, and however you're listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St. Bride's family. We begin now with our opening prayer. Let us pray. We say together, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We stand for the glory.
God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that, with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not our hold on things eternal. Grant this, Heavenly Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Amos. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman, and a dresser of sycamore trees, and the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parcelled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile, away from its land. This is the word of the Lord.
A reading from the letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, a brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing so among yourselves, from the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my memories of attending Sunday school myself as a young child was of acting out the parable of the Good Samaritan with the other children in my group. I was delighted to find myself cast in the role of the victim of the robbery who is left for dead and then rescued by the Samaritan. This seemed to me to be easily the best part in the whole parable, not only because I was the only person who had to remain on stage for the whole of the action, but because the role had such terrific dramatic potential. So I lay on the floor under a desk, groaning dramatically and generally throwing myself into the part with great gusto. And it was all thoroughly enjoyable. The parables of Jesus are, of course, wonderful stories to use with children, precisely because they are so vivid and so memorable. But they are, in fact, emphatically adult in their impact and their implications, if one has the ears to hear what they are actually saying. Because the parables that Jesus told are stories of judgment, stories that challenge us to face the truth about ourselves and what is truly written in our hearts. And as such, they can 
and ought to be deeply disconcerting. I always feel that I've glimpsed the truth at the heart of a parable if it leaves me feeling profoundly uncomfortable. And the story of the Good Samaritan is a case in point, although familiarity can sometimes have the effect of blunting the edge of what would otherwise be a very hard-hitting, disturbing and challenging tale. The context in which Jesus tells this particular parable is worth noting. He is responding to what is in fact a completely disingenuous question presented to him by a lawyer who, within the context of those days, was a religious authority figure, a man who was basically out to trap him. This man, looking for ways in which to trip him up, asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. In reply, Jesus asks him another question. What is written in the law? A perfectly reasonable question, given that the guy is a lawyer. The lawyer answers by quoting two Old Testament Hebrew Bible texts together, one from Deuteronomy, the other from Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. There you are then, says Jesus, so run along and do it. But the lawyer is reluctant to be packed off so easily, so he presses Jesus further with a follow-up question. And who is my neighbour? This is in fact a question about boundaries, about how we are to define our duties and specifically our duty of care, about whom we have a duty to love and whom we do not. And it is in response to that question that Jesus tells our famous parable. You will all, I'm sure, be very familiar with that story. A man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho is attacked by robbers, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Along comes a priest, a highly respected and no doubt respectable member of the Jewish community, a religious authority, no less, who sees the man but hurries past on the other side of the road. A Levite, another religious authority, does likewise, and he too passes by on the other side. But before we all start booing those bad guys for their cruelty and heartlessness, let's just pause for a moment to note how recognisably human their reaction is. I suspect that if we're honest, many of us will recognise the fear of getting involved the fear of not knowing what we might be letting ourselves in for if we were to stop and give assistance to a complete stranger, particularly in difficult and potentially dangerous territory. It might be a poorly lit back street late at night, or, as in this case, an isolated desert road notorious for banditry, such as the road between Jerusalem and Jericho at the time of Jesus. I wonder how many of us would actually find ourselves finding common cause with the priest and the Levite in such circumstances. But there may in fact be a whole other dimension to this particular story too. According to rabbinic tradition, Jericho 
was the chief priestly city. Half of those who served at the temple in Jerusalem were resident there in Jericho. So, if the priest and the Levite were in fact traveling towards Jerusalem rather than away from it, as is often assumed, they were probably headed to the temple to fulfill their religious obligations, their religious duties. In which case, it was imperative that they were in a state of ritual purity in order to do so. And if that were the case, they simply could not risk the defilement that would contaminate them were they to have contact with a corpse, with a dead body. The man, remember, had been left for dead. In which case, the reason why the priest and the Levite gave the wounded man such a wide berth, and note that we're told specifically that both of them passed by on the other side, which is an interesting little detail to have been included in the story, their deliberate avoidance of the man becomes even more comprehensible for reasons that have nothing to do with their being mean and heartless scoundrels. Look at it from their point of view for a moment. Could they really afford to put their religious duty to the whole Jewish community in jeopardy in order to investigate the state of a man whom they might well have assumed was already dead in any case? Within their own context and set within their own understanding of religious rules and, and requirements, one can perhaps envisage why it was that they might possibly have believed that the ritual claim upon them was in fact the higher calling. And then we have the Samaritan. Of course, the huge irony is that if anyone had perfect justification for passing by the man lying in the ditch, it was that man. He was a Samaritan traveling in Israelite territory. So it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to assume that the man lying in the ditch was an Israelite. And Israelites were a people who despised and spurned the Samaritans, regarding them as an impure and inferior race. So we need to recognize that the story that Jesus tells us here is not simply the story of one man going to the aid of another man who is in need. It is much, much more than that. It is the story of the Croat who goes to the aid of the dying Serb, of the Rwandan Tutsi who goes to the aid of the ailing Hutu, of the Jew who goes to the aid of the injured Nazi, of the woman who goes to the aid of the man who murdered her son, of the torture victim who goes to the aid of his tormentor. And in the story that Jesus tells, it is not simply the fact that help is given that is significant. It is the intimate, complete, and committed nature of the help that is given. This is no symbolic gesture, no stopgap measure that's taken until proper help can arrive. On the contrary, the Samaritan binds the man's wounds, takes him to an inn, and pays for his care. He takes full responsibility for the man and his welfare, a man who would not otherwise have expected to have any claim on his goodwill at all. What the Samaritan sees is not an ailing Israelite, but an ailing human being, who is therefore his brother 
and who therefore deserves no less. A book that had a very formative influence on my own understanding of the Christian faith when I first read it many years ago during my student days was an autobiographical work by Sheila Cassidy called Audacity to Believe. Some of you may have read it. Cassidy was a medical doctor who was working in Chile during the mid-1970s, and it is the story of her arrest and torture at the hands of the Chilean secret police. Her crime was to have treated a wounded man called Gutierrez, who turned out to be a member of an outlawed revolutionary party. At one point during one of her interrogation sessions, we glimpse a fleeting but powerful moment of human contact between her and one of her hitherto faceless torturers. Sheila Cassidy describes the incident in these terms, and I quote from her book. Again and again, they return to the question, why did you treat Gutierrez? And again, I repeated, he was sick, I am a doctor. Exasperated, one of them said, but if I had a wounded leg, you wouldn't treat me. To which I replied, of course I would. There was a long silence. And then he said slowly, I do believe you would. At such times, it is the oppressors who are in most profound need of liberation. And paradoxically, sometimes it is only the vulnerable and the weak who are in a position to initiate that transformation. The problem with the lawyer to whom Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan is that he thinks he knows all the answers already. After all, he's an expert. He is a professional in his field. The reason he asks Jesus what he has to do in order to inherit eternal life is not because he wants to know the answer. On the contrary, he thinks he already knows that because he has absolute confidence in the systems and the structures and the conventions that shape his religious tradition, just as the priest and the Levite had done. And yet, as Jesus reveals in his parable, however significant and important the trappings of our religious adherence may be, just occasionally we need to be prepared to set them aside completely when the claim upon us is the higher claim of simple human compassion. Christian love is not something that the strong and the able and the powerful and the religious dish out to the deserving, because Christian love is the love of Christ crucified. If we would learn the compassion of Christ, then we must be prepared to take risks, to make ourselves vulnerable in living out that love, and to hold up to the judgment of Christ all our worldly instincts about where our responsibilities to others begin and end, and in so doing, to declare by our actions and through our lives that things can be different. For therein lies the hope of resurrection and the power and the promise of new life for all. At the end of the parable, Jesus says to the lawyer whose questions prompted the story, go and do likewise. If we are to follow him, 
we too can do no less. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the Scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you know us better than we know ourselves, and your wisdom and grace are boundless. Open our eyes to your presence as we walk the path you have set before us each day. Open our hearts to feel the pain of your world and your suffering children. And open our lives in response to your call to serve you in all that we do. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world we give thanks for the wonders of your creation. We pray in sorrow for our squandering and abuse of the earth's precious resources and for our failure to steward your gifts wisely and well. Guide us in the decisions we make about how we live, what we have and what we can share that we may learn to live in more sustainable ways to protect our planet and to honour your creation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the leaders of the nations and especially for our own government and parliament at this time of transition and uncertainty. We pray that those in positions of power and authority may be guided by your spirit of justice and righteousness and may work to the benefit of all, but especially on behalf of those who are most vulnerable, those for whom life is a struggle, those who have no voice. 
we pray for the peace of our world. We continue to hold in prayer our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and all other places where there is conflict and war. We remember all victims of recent gun crime and for those who perpetrate acts of violence. That the spirit of your peace may touch their hearts. We pray for all journalists and those who work in the media. We remember especially those whose work puts them in situations of personal danger. Those who work freelance and those who struggle to make a living. We pray for all who write what many read and who have the power to shape public opinion by their words and images that they may pursue their calling to pursue the truth with integrity. And we pray for the church throughout the world and for those entrusted with its leadership. We ask your blessing upon this church of St. Bride and upon all whom we seek to serve. Lord, in your mercy, hear our We pray for the sick and the suffering. We pray for those who will spend this day living with physical, mental or emotional pain or enduring any kind of anguish. We pray for all who are in hospital, in care homes or convalescing at home. And we pray for the medical staff and those providing social care who look after them. And we pray for all for whom our prayers have been asked and those whom we carry in our hearts. Bless and support them with your healing love and grace and help them to know your presence with them now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who have died and for any who are dying now. For those whose years mind falls at this time and we remember those who mourn. Loving God, we commend into your hands those whom we have loved but see no longer. You gave them breath and loved them throughout their earthly lives. Receive them now in your infinite tenderness and give them peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. A prayer of St. Benedict. O gracious and holy Father, give us wisdom to perceive you, intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, 
Accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you please stand? Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and we share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this wine to offer, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy, at all times and in all places, to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and singing.
Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood, who, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of his kingdom, and with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts, in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your, holy, by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours for ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, 
so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.
Let us pray. Eternal God, comfort of the afflicted and healer of the broken, you have fed us at the table of life and hope. Teach us the ways of gentleness and peace, that all the world may acknowledge the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. 